This is Mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. Today, I'm here with an incredible human being that is Marcelo Pascoa, the Global VP of Marketing at Molson Coors. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this individual has done a lot of speaking. He's led marketing at the top of the top, but he hasn't done much podcasting. I think actually, based on what we found, this could be his first show. So I'm pumped, Marcelo, to have you here. We're going to have a great conversation. First and foremost, know that we're honored. And thank you for being on Marketing Trends. Well, I don't think you should be that honored, but I'm glad that you are. But uh, uh, you might be disappointed there. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> this is really my first podcast. Uh, and I'm a big podcast listener myself, so I'm happy to be here. Just a small caveat, I am the marketing VP at Molson Course for the course family of brands. I do have other colleagues, other VPs in marketing that lead different brands. But overall, happy to be here. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay, so so for our audience, kind of high level, describe the core of Molson Coors and kind of the global and North American reach that you have. What is the, what is the core of it? If you could explain to someone who's not familiar with Molson Coors. Yeah, of course. So Molson Coors is a beverage company. We started as a beer company, but of course, uh, as uh, expectations about beer and beverages at large have changed. Uh, we have also evolved, and today we offer a wide variety of products, uh, alcoholic products, non-alcoholic products. We have anything from Zoa, uh, one of the hottest new energy drinks in the market, to big, iconic legacy brands uh, in beer like Miller Lite and Coors Light, to uh, innovations that are, you know, like breaking new ground in the beverage space like Simply Spike and Topo Chico Hard Seltzer. Basically, we are uh, a total beverage company. We have a wide portfolio with many different options that uh, people can reach out to during different moments in their lives. Wow. So there's, it's interesting to see such a big stance on sustainability. We talked a little bit about that before the show, and I want to kind of understand what that's like for you. Again, at the helm of marketing there, 
now leading, you know, marketing for the for the Molson Coors uh, beverage part of the business. The Coors family of brands, yes. Yeah, for the Coors family of brands, like, what's it like to be a part of this this brand that is such a pioneer in the sustainability space now in 2022? Yeah, so, you know, I think that we as marketers, of course, we need to drive our businesses. We need to make money for our companies. We need to generate return to our investors. But it always, you know, like as when I started working in marketing, we deal with some pretty healthy budgets, right? A lot of money goes through marketing. And of course, we want to sell our products and advance our brands. But if we can use some of our resources, and I'm not only talking about money, I'm talking about the very talented people that work in this industry. I'm talking about all of the creativity uh, that permeates or at least should permeate everything that we do. If we can use some of those resources to have a positive impact in the world, wouldn't we just be happier about what we do? Wouldn't coming to work be even more exciting than if we were just here to sell beer? Which in my case, yes, of course, the first thing that I have to think about every single day. And the truth is that I was very inspired uh, when I started working for Molson Coors by the history of Coors Light. There was, there was a lot in, in, in the Coors brand in general, right? There was a lot that I didn't know. So for example, I think that the thing that struck me the most was to find out that Coors actually pioneered the two-piece recyclable aluminum can. I believe it was in 1958. I'm pretty sure it was in the 50s, 1958. So way back there, the brand was already thinking about how to exist in the world in a way that could generate a more harmonious relationship with nature and the environment, right? So I think that throughout its history, the brand has had that connection. The brand comes from Colorado, the whole Colorado mindset. You know, like Colorado is basically... These days, people are saying it's the place that everybody wants to move to when they retire or the place everybody wanted to move to when they were going through the pandemic. Because there is this, you know, like uh, connection with nature and the outdoors. And uh, inspired by this legacy, we've recently taken a really big step that I'm really proud of. So uh, we announced earlier this year that Coors Light is becoming the first major beer brand in North America to move away from plastic rings. And it's a move that is going to eliminate, when we think about Coors Light alone, it's going to eliminate 400,000 pounds of plastics from the environment every year. But the truth is that it's going to impact our entire portfolio because basically what we are doing, we're changing all of the packaging machines. And instead of packaging our products with plastic rings, the six packs, we're packaging them with uh, sustainable cardboard solutions. And because Coors Light is such a big brand, every other product that goes through the same packaging machines will have the same uh, new sustainable solution. So in total, we'll be removing 1.7 million pounds of plastics from the environment every year. And I'm very happy that the company was winning. It was a huge investment in CapEx. That's huge, yeah. More than $80 million just to you know like go through the process AT, right? Eight zero. Wow. Yeah. And I was so proud. I felt so proud when we, when we actually had a, as you can imagine, it was a lengthy process and we went through so many meetings, but I was so proud throughout this process to see the excitement that we were getting from the company's leadership team 
and mostly from everyone that had to touch this project, right? We had to work with supply chain. We had to work with finance. We had to work with every single department of the company to make it happen. And uh, I'm very, very proud that the company decided to be bold, to be a pioneer once again, and to remove those hateful plastic rings from our packaging. Wow, it's huge. So I'm really curious about your background. I mean, look, I saw that you essentially, you know, your marketing career started back in 2005 as a copywriter. Yeah. You know, back in Brazil. So you're from Brazil. Yeah. That's home. You're from Sao Paulo? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, as an aside, I, I traveled there once. I have to tell you a story about uh, getting lost in a favela and and getting hung up uh, with by guns. We, it was crazy. It was crazy. Oh my God. But that's a different story for a different time. So your marketing, your marketing, you know, started as a copywriter. And, and I want to kind of just understand because look, you're your marketing journey led you through to some incredible brands. I mean, you spent almost four years at the Coca-Cola company, you know, and I want to kind of hear about that experience. Then you ended up at Airbnb as head of marketing for Latin America, spent almost three years at Burger King, now almost three years at, at Molson Coors Beverage Company. So it's such an interesting path as a marketer. And I'm just curious from a, the foundational level, are there differences in your approach from marketing in Brazil than marketing in the US, what did you kind of gain from that experience and perspective? Yeah, so first of all, if you will allow me, you know, I'm an accidental marketer, right? You know, like I never wanted to be a marketer in the first place. So, you know, like when I was very young and I had to decide what I was gonna do with my life, I went to law school, which was pretty weird when I think about it now. But it was basically, you know, like back in Brazil, there is this big, I, I think things are changing now, but you know, like when I was, you know, like deciding what I was going to do with my life, there was still that push for you to be either a doctor, an engineer or a lawyer. And because I was always a person that was more connected to the humanities, I always enjoyed writing and I'm a big art nerd. I love everything, pop culture, art and entertainment. So, you know, like as one does, I decided to go to freaking law school. I don't regret it. It was a great experience, but at the same time, when I got out of law school and I felt, you know, I started working as a lawyer and I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't live like that simply because the things that I'm truly passionate about, they were so removed from my daily life at work, right? So I kind of got into advertising by accident. You know, it just occurred to me that maybe I knew some people, you know, like some of the friends that I liked hanging out with, they were going to marketing and advertising schools. So I decided to go back to school. I studied marketing and advertising. And I really wanted to be a creative. And that's how, that's how I started. I started as a copywriter. I worked for, uh, you know, like a few different agencies. The one where I stayed the longest was DDB in Brazil. DDB uh, in Brazil, it's called the Deminovi, which translates to DM9. It's a very strong creative brand in Brazil. It's an agency that has a very strong history of breakthrough creativity. And I was very happy, you know, like I was very happy doing that. And what I can tell you about my time in Brazil, especially as a creative, is that the big difference between doing creative work uh, in Brazil, and I can tell you about how I got into marketing in a little bit, but just to address your question, uh, so you don't think that I'm running away from it. I think that everything in Brazil is crap here because that's just the Brazilian way, right? So there is this expression in Brazil called the Brazilian way, which can have a very bad connotation, which is when people are trying to, you know, break some rules. But there is also something very interesting and very beautiful about it, which is the ability to create something exciting 
regardless of the, the cards that you've been dealt. So Brazilians, they have this adaptability and this relentless energy. And I'm not talking about myself necessarily, you know, like I'm not, maybe not, not the best example of a Brazilian for people who might be listening, who know me, but you know, like Brazilians in general, they have this optimism, this ability to adapt and change to, uh, improvise. And I think that there is a lot of that in Brazilian creativity, because as you might imagine, you don't get the same kinds of budgets that you get when you're leading a, glo- a brand from global, right? If you're producing content from, from, from more than 150 countries, like I was doing when I was working for Coca-Cola, you're obviously going to have a much larger budget than if you are producing something just for one market. So uh, everything in Brazil is a little bit scrappier, but I think that that's also the source of uh, a lot of Brazil's best creativity. And that's why you see so many Brazilian marketers or chief creative officers around the world in global positions or leading big international markets. Because I think that Brazilians, they, they have that uh, tenacity uh, when it comes to making things great and having really big ambitions, no matter the circumstances, right? So I think that that's, that's a little bit of the difference. I think that here in the US, for example, you know, everything is a little bit more polished. Everything is a little bit more well-rounded, you know, like there is, you know, the budgets are bigger, the production crews are, you know, like extremely talented, uh, in a way that, you know, like comes with the fact that this is, you know, like the mecca of the, the, the film industry and all of that stuff. So I think that here you, you get to enjoy certain resources that you don't get to enjoy when you're leading a brand from Brazil. Uh, but I think that when you are, you know, like in a smaller market, if you have that adaptability and that passion for improvising and making these work, you can still do great things just as well. How does that inform like cores and, and the brands that you oversee on the marketing side and just in terms of cultural nuance, right? A lot of brands kind of had a misstep or two when it comes to making this kind of cultural brand builder, and then they can lose customers sometimes temporarily, sometimes forever, because if they're introducing this new slogan or new product name, and they don't always do the due diligence in the, you know, there's cultural nuance, right? Now you have this international perspective. How does that also inform your marketing kind of strategy and, and perspective, you know, having global reach? Yeah, so I think that the biggest challenge is how much you're willing to truly, when you are in a global position, how much are you truly willing to listen to the people who are driving your business uh, on a local level, which by the way, is where the magic really happens, right? This is where people are gonna choose to pick up or not to pick up your product. Um, this is where, you know, like uh, we are seeing the business in its most fundamental form. And I think that there is always this question, you know, like having a global role is as much about guidance as it is about service. You know, like uh, global marketers, they, they have to think about their roles as, yes, they need to provide some guidance to people in local markets. So there is brand consistency and we can be cohesive across different geographies. But there is a lot uh, in our role that is basically serving the local markets that are going to take those guidelines and run with them, right? So I think that when I think about course like the brand that I'm working with right now, one of the brands, right? You know, like one of the, the we also have Course Banquet, we have Course Edge, but you know, like Course Light is the biggest brand that I'm managing right now. 
One of the keys to the success of our most recent campaign made to Chio is the localization playbook that we have developed in partnership with uh, our markets across the across the US and how we allow uh, local markets to infuse local flavor into the way they execute the campaign, right? So Made to Chill is all about disconnecting from the pressures of an always-on world so you can find an opportunity. You can make the intentional choice to find a moment to recharge your battery so you can go back to the world feeling refreshed and recharged. It's about refreshing your spirit as much as our beer refreshes your body as well, right? We exist to refresh the spirit. We exist to empower people to make that intentional, that active choice to disconnect and recharge. And the truth is that how people choose to find that moment across different parts of the country or the world there's not one answer to that, right? You know, like people experience that visceral moment of chill very differently depending on where they are, right? So the fact that we can allow markets to explore how people chill in places as different as Florida, California, and New York. So we have this platform that we really like, which is basically about keeping different places chill. So we have keeping California chill, uh, keeping New York chill, so on and so forth. And basically, uh, what we see is that when people are really allowed to infuse the creative work with local flavor, things get better and more interesting. So I think that the challenge is knowing how to balance the guidance and also the, the, the service element of a global role. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Especially, you know, letting the local market really infuse, you know, the campaign and really getting, getting a flavor there. I'm curious about the technology that you're using to connect with, you know, the local markets. Is there, are there certain techs, tech stacks or, you know, technology that allows you guys to get that kind of data? Yeah. So uh, obviously, you know, like when we monitor the business and when we monitor the brand, we have to uh, understand what is happening across different regions, right? That's the only way that we can actually provide solutions to any challenges that we are facing. So a lot of the data that we had, yes, absolutely. We see it from a national perspective, but we also, this is one of the, the, the questions that we usually ask in any meeting when we're reviewing any metrics, right? So you're seeing something national. And one of the first, the, the, one of the first questions that we ask, first of all, you know, like we always want to know if we can cut the data by age demographics, because we want to see if you know, like our current consumers and our recruitment target are responding differently to different things that we do because we do different things for our current base and uh, our recruitment target. But at the end of the day, it's one brand, it's one campaign. And we want to make sure that we are being able to uh, push the brand forward while also bringing along the people who have loved us for the longest time. So, you know, this breakdown when it comes to ages in part, but also understanding this breakdown according to different regions. And we know, even when you think about, you know, like um, uh, the history of, uh, you know, that beer is a complicated business, right? We have a three-tier system. Uh, we don't sell directly to consumers. We sell the beer to our distributors. The distributors sell them to retail and they are, you know, like our main partners. And we cannot... You know, like our distributor success is our success and vice versa. And the truth is that uh, throughout the country, you have places where Coors Light is stronger. You have places where Miller Light is stronger. You have places that have a stronger tradition for one brand or the other. 
And uh, uh, we are always trying to uh, take into consideration those data points that can allow us to understand better the business and the brand and how they are performing locally so that at the end of the day, uh, we can drive uh, national growth for our brands. Speaking of just these moments of interactions between you know the customers and the consumers, I mean, there was a, there was a campaign that you were involved in for Burger King uh, that was making people go to McDonald's to download yes. the Burger King app and then download a coupon to buy a Whopper for a penny. Uh, this campaign was a massive success. I'm just curious, why did this campaign work better than just giving people a coupon? Oh, I'm going to tell you, everyone had tried to give away just the coupon. So first of all, I love that this is a coupon campaign. I love talking about that, especially when talking to my creative friends, because uh, uh, at the end of the day, it was a coupon campaign, right? Like the brief for this campaign, you know, like uh, it's not necessarily the brief that many creatives would be excited to get, but uh, it ended up generating a very creative idea that I'm very proud uh, to have participated in. So uh, basically, Burger King was relaunching uh, their app, and the truth is that uh, some of our some of their competitors had started before Burger King, so they were already Burger King had some catching up to do, right? So basically, the challenge was how do you relaunch this app and make people super excited? about uh, a functionality like a digital coupon or mobile order and pay. That's what it is, right? It's a coupon that gives you a discount so that you can order something through your phone instead of just ordering at a cashier or at a drive store when you get to the restaurant. So every single brand had already offered a burger for free in exchange for a download. And the reason why maybe you don't know about that is because Nobody talked about that, right? Nobody got excited about that. You know, like, ah, okay, you know, I'm not going to give you real estate just because you're willing to give me a free burger. So uh, uh, what happened with the Whopper Detour is that the experience was actually so outrageously fun. It was one of those things that make people go, what? People really didn't know, oh my God, is that really possible? Is this even going to work? And at the end of the day, they just had so much fun going to McDonald's. And it just felt, you know, it just felt so uh, mischievous and fun and exciting to be able to order a Whopper from a McDonald's. And that's why people engaged with it. And the Burger King app, I don't remember exactly how it was ranked at the Google store and the Apple store, the iTunes store at the time, but it was like 652 or something, you know, like, uh, uh, which is, you know, what you would expect for an app from a, a restaurant brand competing against YouTube and Facebook and whatever applications people are downloading most of the time, TikTok and Instagram. And we actually jumped to number one in both stores, Apple and Android, uh, over the course of a week, like from 650 something to the number one app ahead of TikTok or YouTube. I don't even remember if we had TikTok at the time. But I think that people gravitated towards the fact that it was so much fun. And the fact that you can have so much fun by just redeeming a coupon, to me, it's a great example of how you can find amazing opportunities for creativity in the most unlikely places. Segwaying into a really fun one that we found was this partnership between Coors Light and Tide, Tide Cleaners. Yes, yes. So, I mean, what an incredible campaign, Marcelo. I mean, to help lighten the load, 
Coors Light is offering to do people's laundry throughout the college football season. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a typo, people. This incredible brand has teamed up with Tide and they basically, they don't want people doing laundry on Saturdays for football. So Marcelo, tell, tell us about this campaign. Yeah, so listen, uh, everything is competing for our attention and our time, right? From uh, our pets to our partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands and wives, to, uh, uh, you know, like uh, work and uh, friends, everything is competing for our time all of the time. And one thing that we realize is that, you know, football is one of those moments in which our consumers can really refresh their spirits. They can really take that time for themselves and disconnect from the rest of the world and be fully connected to that experience of watching a great game with family and friends and finding uh, a moment of chill through football, right? But what really gets in the way of that chill is chores. And people make fun of me when I say this word because it's difficult for a Brazilian to say chores. So now that it's been pointed out to me that I say it funny, I just start saying it funnier and funnier every time. So you'll excuse me for that. But basically that's the name of the campaign, right? Chores light. Uh, we want people to stay at a bar and we want people to go out and, you know, like uh, watch the game with their friends at a sports bar. So yes, we partnered with Tide and over the course of the campaign, in some bars, in different bars in different cities in the US, you could literally take your dirty laundry to the bar and we would pick it up. You would forget about it, watch the game, have a, a nice cold course light, and we would deliver your clean laundry in partnership with Tide directly to your door. Now, because, you know, like not everybody could go to those specific bars in those cities, we also have a big national component. So anyone can win. Uh, well, we have a bunch of very cool swag, but mostly uh, you can win a credit with a tie that is going to be enough to cover all of your dirty laundry for the entire football season. So, yes, less chores and more cores light. It's incredible. I mean, Marcelo, did you also think that maybe you were you and the marketing team there were also going to save so many marriages by creating this campaign. I mean, you think about, I mean, I know my partner, she is amazing and does a lot of the laundry and I, I support her in that. I help out. And if I did more laundry, I mean, my, my relationship gets better, right? So this, this is a side, a side note caveat of this campaign is a lot of marriages and relationships are going to succeed much longer because of this experience, Marcelo. There you go. There you go. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it from that angle, but I'm happy that you put it in front of me. I'm now even happier with the idea that we have. I love it. So so you have this creative background. You you are a creative. It's it's not a surprise to to know that. And now we're living in this world of, you know, data and where it's so important to kind of balance data and creativity, especially leading again in your role globally at at uh, Molson Coors Beverages. How do you balance that as a creative now in 2022, thinking about data and creative and, and towing the line there? Listen, I think that first of all, anything can be a source of inspiration for creativity as long as you're open to it, right? Uh, so, you know, like the same way that you might see someone doing something at the subway, uh, I'm not going to get into what that could be because that can lead us to some very dark paths. But uh, if you're watching someone, you know, like... Uh, coming down the street, if you are going to an art exhibition, if you're listening to a song from an artist that you really love, all of those stimuli, they can inspire creativity. And I don't see why data wouldn't be the same thing. 
actually we have a lot of uh, amazing uh, artists that are using data to create beautiful, beautiful, exciting experiences and art installations all around the world. So I think that it is not about the data itself. It's how we use data. It's the same thing with research, right? So here at Molson Course, we're very proud to say that, yes, we do research so that we can get feedback from our consumers, but we do not, and we really don't. We do not allow uh, research to decide for us because if that was the case, you know, like uh, why is the company even paying for our salaries? So it is all about how you look at the data and how how you find power in the data, how you can feel empowered by data to do things that are even bolder from a creative perspective. So I can think about, you know, like um, a few examples, but just the single fact that, you know, like Ken, uh, which is still, you know, like probably the largest international uh, creativity festival around the world, the Ken Lyons Festival, they have a category for creative data, right? So I think that as long as people are leveraging data to unlock business opportunities and then using that data as well as an inspiration for creativity, there is no downside. You know, like data is basically knowledge that we didn't used to have before. It's also about understanding who our consumers are from the most fundamental perspective as human beings, right? You know, like uh, what is it that actually drives them? What is it that actually matters to them? And I think that uh, from the very beginning of my career working in marketing and advertising, one thing that I have always aspired to do, it's such a privilege to do work that goes, you know that, right? You do a podcast and then it's not like you're going to be listening to your own podcast. You put it out into the world. Uh, it doesn't end when the session ends. You know, it's actually the beginning, right? That is so freaking exciting. The fact that we get to produce content we get to produce products. We have, we get to think about the things that we put out into the world so that people can hopefully enjoy them. And I think that data is just another way of making sure that we use this uh, opportunity, which is a privilege, well, meaning that we do things that when we put them out into the world, people are going to see what we are doing as relevant. People are going to see what we are doing as something that can make their lives a little bit easier, a little bit more enjoyable. So, you know, like I think that for me, and I'm, you know, like I've always been a little bit of a nerd when it comes to those things, but I, you know, I invite anyone. I think that, you know, like if people are afraid of data, it's probably because they don't really understand that the role that it can have in the way that we do marketing, and mostly in the way that we put ourselves and we insert our products and our brands into the lives of other people. Yeah, you, you talked about seeing people as humans, not just consumers, and really keeping that lens on, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, like, uh, it's funny how we often as marketers, we think that every challenge that we are facing is new, right? When actually, you know, like in my opinion, the challenges that we face are just a new version of the same challenges that we have been facing from the beginning of times. So at the end of the day, you know, like we are trying to create an emotional connection with people. We are trying to establish this connection really, right? And I think that uh, whether we are doing it through, uh, you know, like a more traditional approach or whether we are trying to do it by reinventing the way we do marketing and advertising, but the fundamental challenge is the same. 
people talk a lot about, you know, like attention, attention, attention. You know, I was, I'm going to, if you allow me, I'm going to do a little plug here. I wrote a book. Uh, it's a collection of essays. I wrote one of the essays. It's called The Art of Branded Entertainment. So basically in 2017, I had the opportunity to be a member of the, the, the jury for the Entertainment Lions in Cannes. I've always been very passionate about branded content and branded entertainment. I worked for an agency back in Brazil that started as a part of Young and Rubik, and now it's a part of Accenture called New Content. And we only did projects that were bringing together brands and entertainment. I worked there for five years. I was very passionate about it because I'm very passionate about entertainment in general. And one of the things that you learn is that people are willing to give you as much time as the, the, the amount of time that people are willing to give you just basically depends on what you are giving them back, what you are giving them in return for their time, right? So I think that people keep talking about attention, 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 attention. I don't think it's more difficult to get someone's attention in social media than it is to get someone's attention when you're sitting across from them in, on a first date, right? You know, like uh, if the opening line of a book is bad, Every author will tell you that, you know, like you are probably going to uh, stop reading. If your pickup line is terrible, the person you're talking to is going to walk away. So, you know, like we keep thinking about these challenges. Yes, they are presenting themselves in a different way, but they are the same fundamental challenges that we face when we need to establish a connection with a human being. So remembering that that's what people are, that they are people, they are humans with feelings and uh, facing, you know, like challenges and opportunities every day in their lives. I do think that it's such a fundamental idea, but it's still one that I believe can be very transformational in the way that we try to appeal to them. Great. Um, and I think just, again, I think just remembering that as a marketing leader is just so important. There's so much technology and data and, and information available to always remember that at the end of the day, you, you said it best. It's like, we're, we're humans. We're solving the same sorts of problems and challenges just in different ways. Yeah. And so keeping that as a through line is really interesting. Um, I'd love to just get your thoughts on kind of how you're positioning the brand voice around, you know, the future kind of economic and financial headwinds coming this way. Yeah, what's your perspective on that? How how do you think uh, the course brands are going to respond to kind of what's happening down the line in terms of like the economic headwinds? Yeah, so I think that what brands need to think about is we are one small part of people's lives, right? You know, like when you think about, you know, like uh, all of the different things people are dealing with, that they are concerned about, their priorities, their feelings, all of the stuff that we were just talking about. So I think that we, we do not exist in a vacuum, right? So I think that there are two things that I would say about that. So first of all, I think that there's the business side of things, which is how do we uh, adjust, uh, how do we take into account everything that is happening to make sure that we can keep uh, driving our brands towards their goals and finding success despite of these challenging circumstances. Every... Uh, you know, like when you're facing something that is very challenging, yes, it can be very scary, but it can also uh, be exciting if you use it as an opportunity, right? So I think that, you know, like from the business side of things, of course, you know, like uh, we have to monitor, we have to adapt, and we have to find ways to keep existing 
in people's lives so that they can they can keep reaching out for for our products. But I think that as brands, which might be what you were talking about, I think that brands should be thinking about how they can how they can participate in people's lives beyond just selling their products, right? So I think that uh, um, I can give you, uh, you know, like there is one example that I would like to give you about something that we will be doing in the near future, but I cannot. So I'm going to use an example of something that we have already done. <laughs> but uh, uh, we, we say that Course Light exists to refresh the spirit, right? And when we talk about refreshing the spirit or being, bringing refreshment to people's lives, we believe there is an opportunity to refresh the body through, you know, like uh, our product as the most refreshing beer in the world. There is a, an opportunity to refresh the spirit when you're trying to bring more emotional refreshment. But we also talk about refreshing the world and, you know, like uh, doing things that can make the world a little bit more chill, right? So there is one example of a project that we did recently that is called Chill Boards. So uh, we were basically building billboards that no one could see, but people could actually feel. So basically what we did Instead of putting billboards, you know, like uh, by the sidewalk or whatever, you know, the traditional uh, billboards, we started painting billboards with reflective white paint on top of rooftops in communities that struggle with extreme heat. So basically, we started in Miami. So uh, we, we worked together uh, with Miami's chief heat officer, believe it or not, they had this role in Miami. Wow. I know because I used to live in Miami. So, you know, like people, pe- people ask me about the winter in Chicago and I say, I'd rather deal with the winter in Chicago than deal, <laughs> than deal with the humidity in Miami. But, uh, so basically it's such a simple, uh, resource, right? So we didn't invent the paint, you know, like uh, reflective paint exists and has been around for such a long time. And when people think about their houses or their buildings, they think about every single wall, but they don't usually think about the rooftop, right? Because nobody sees it. So uh, by creating these billboards, uh, uh, our friends from DDB, they developed this font that, you know, like it's like uh, the, 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 easy, the easiest way to explain it is it's a very fat font, right? So it occupies as much space as possible. There is very, very limited negative space. So we could paint those billboards with our brand messages, but it would be 98% white in reflective paint. And that helps cool down the buildings so that, uh, People, uh, uh, you know, like the temperatures go down significantly. And we started this project in Miami. But now, for example, as we see people struggling even more, you know, like with inflation, and we're seeing that people are struggling to pay, people have to choose between buying food or paying their electric bills. That's, that, that's not a, a good situation, right? So we're now expanding the project and we are preparing to roll it out uh, across different cities in different countries, in Canada, in Latin America, and in more places in the US. But mostly we just want to try to inspire people. We gave away a bunch of reflective paint the first time around so that people could go and, you know, like do their own rooftops. But this project is about giving back to trying to trying to bring the, the purpose that we have as a brand in a way that can give back to some of the communities that we serve. So I think that uh, before anyone just start doing those, you know, like uh, commercials with sad piano music, talking about how much people are struggling right now, 
I think that maybe this is another opportunity. And it goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of sustainability. We have so many resources at our disposal as marketers. And if we can use some of our budget, some of the creativity, some of the talent that we have at our disposal to give back to communities in uh, moments like this, why shouldn't we be doing that, right? So I think that in terms of how we talk about uh, the situation that people are facing, I think it's, it's better to look for opportunities to do things as opposed to just talk about the things. And then if you do something relevant, you can talk about it, right? But uh, yes, I think that it's one more opportunity for brands to think about something that they should be thinking about all of the time, which is how they can, uh, uh, yes, we're here to drive business results, to generate sales, but we also have the opportunity to give back to the communities we serve. And if we can do things to make the world a little bit better, or in our case, a little bit more chill, why not? This is so, so insightful. I'd love to talk about, if you can, uh, the course banquet on uh, TV shows like Cobra Kai. We're fans. Yes. We're fun, we're, oh my God. We're fun, yes. Fun fans of that. David and I, the producer of this show, are fans of Cobra Kai. So I know in the first two seasons, uh, Cobra Kai has just been killing it on YouTube. And, and now they're on, on Netflix with their third. Let's talk about banquet. <laughs> Okay, let's I'm do sorry it. that I interrupted you because I just <laughs> no. get so excited about it. Let's do it. Look, it's the brand's flagship beer. Yes. H- how many years? Celebrating how, ma- how many years? We will be celebrating 150 years of Banquet next Boom. year. Boom. And let me tell you, Banquet is was a gift for me, to be honest. Wow. Uh, because when I joined, I obviously knew all about Coors Light already because it's the biggest brand. I didn't know as much about Banquet. And when you find out about this brand, it's such an amazing brand. It has a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful legacy. So it started 150 years ago in Colorado as a delight to miners after a hard work stay, et cetera, et cetera. So Banquet is all about doing what's right, even when it's hard. And you really see that throughout the brand's history, right? That's why, for example, you know, like when we, when we say that the Coors brand pioneered the aluminum can, it was actually Banquet because at that time, Coors Light didn't even exist. So, you know, like our main product was Coors Banquet. And uh, it's being smuggled across state lines. Many presidents have carried uh, Banquet inside of Air Force One, you know, like at a time when you couldn't really, you know. So first of all, Banquet is only brewed in Golden, Colorado. If it's not brewed in Golden, Colorado, if it's not brewed with 100% Rocky Mountain water, it is not Banquet. So it's a beer that has, it, it, it's so funny, 150 years later, when I tell the story of Banquet for young people, they go, oh my God, you know, like, uh, this is actually what I would expect maybe from a craft beer. This is what I would expect from, you know, like a very small uh, brewery in Portland, Oregon. And you have this big, it's one of the fastest, mind you, it's one of the fastest growing brands uh, in beer today. So Banquet has always had this appeal, right? You know, like, uh, it's a beer that has been enjoyed by presidents, by rock stars. I cannot say their names because then we would have to pay for it. We would have, we'll have to pay them. But if you just, if you, if, you, if you do your research, you will find out. You will see all sorts of, you know, like celebrities and, you know, like amazing people throughout history enjoying banquet. And the, the, the truth is that a lot of creatives, a lot of uh, showrunners, they find inspiration in the brand. So you have different situations. For example, Cobra Kai, we don't pay for product integration at all. 
We don't have a financial oh, partnership wow. with Netflix. Oh, wow. You see Banquet during Cobra Kai because the showrunners, they really do love Banquet. So none of that is paid by us or... Wow. It's, it's not product integration. It's just, it's just coming from the sheer fact that the showrunner... Now, Yellowstone is different, right? So uh, Yellowstone is a partnership with a show, but again... The reason why it has been working so hard for us is because it's such an organic collaboration, you know, like uh, the brand fits that universe perfectly. And that's why the brand is constantly appearing in the show in such an organic. I always say that if you feel like you have to hide your brand, then you're probably trying to put your brand in the wrong place. So you see that a lot in product placement, right? When you have to show a little bit of the logo because the brand is paying for it. And that's not what's happening. And now uh, uh, we are actually bringing, we have a, a much larger program that we are launching with Yellowstone, but this is coming up uh, in November. Um, I cannot give you much more details about it. But what I love is how easily uh, Banquet fits into all of these different uh, entertainment franchises because it's just the kind of brand. It's just like Coca-Cola. It's the kind of brand that has such a strong, uh, iconic legacy that uh, uh, it's just natural to see it in certain contexts. And I'm, I'm very happy to see how young people are discovering, young legal-aged people are discovering this brand through entertainment mm, that's great there's so many there's so many i know like you said upcoming campaigns but just stuff that you guys have done so successfully in the way that you're thoughtfully thinking about how to interact with the human you know along along the way as we journey in this interesting life experience like how can we come alongside humans and support them in their life not just think of hey have a course everywhere you go how do we understand the world you're in and actually add value to what you're it's brilliant to think about um what do you do now to just kind of think, to sit and think? What do you do for creative inspiration? Do you shut the world off and go into a quiet place? Do you have a certain, like, what's your approach to kind of zooming out, if you will? Because you're in, you're in a, at, at a interesting intersection of a lot of, you know, brand campaigns and voices and competition. It's very loud. Lots of things happening. Do you run at that noise and then look for creativity? Do you go somewhere else for creativity? What does Marcelo do for creativity? Yeah, so, you know, throughout my career, I have met people who source their inspiration mostly from advertising itself. And I respect that, you know, like uh, uh, when I was a creative, some of my colleagues, they were, you know, like, of course, you know, like, it's always fun to know about advertising and to know about, you know, like all of the amazing different campaigns that have been created throughout history, et cetera, et cetera. But some uh, creatives, they source their inspiration mostly from advertising and some, uh, and, you know, like I'm not a creative anymore now that I'm working as a marketer. I, I always like to tell my agencies that, you know, like now I can give you very bad ideas because I'm no longer paid to have good <laughs> ideas. So I can give you bad ideas and you can turn them into great ideas. But mostly when I, when I started out as a creative, as I was saying before, I wanted to work in advertising and then in marketing because I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about art, pop culture, and entertainment at large. And I don't discriminate. I can be as excited about, uh, you know, like uh, Ella Fitzgerald or Lady Gaga, you know, like uh, uh, no, no judgment, uh, pop culture, fine art. It doesn't really matter. But I am more in the group of people who find inspiration through culture, 
entertainment and art. I'm a big nerd when it comes to that. I don't know how how I watch all of the shows that I watch. Uh, my husband always says that you know he doesn't understand how you know I exist in the world and I still. Uh, get to binge watch so many different shows and I'm always you know like so I'm passionate about art and entertainment at large so I'm a big reader uh, you know like uh, I love going to the theater you know like going you know like to museums and discovering new artists and new sources of inspiration I love advertising as well so I think it's a mix for me I think that you know like I do find a lot of inspiration in terms of seeing work that makes me jealous right I love at at the moment, you know, like when I see it, it's very, uh, uh, you know, it's very difficult to deal with it because, you know, like I get jealous, I get jealous, you know, I'm talking about very, very jealous when I see, you know, like something that other people are doing, I say, oh my God, I so wanted to have been a part of that. I so wanted to have, why, you know, like, why couldn't I have thought about doing something like this? And, you know, like to me, that jealousy actually becomes fuel because you want to do to, to be better and do better, right? So you, when you go to a big uh, advertising festival, I can, you know, like to me, it is a joyful experience sometimes because we can celebrate some of the campaigns that we have done and we get to see a lot of people that we love. But it's always a difficult experience for me because a part of me is always going to be looking at other stuff that people are doing and saying, oh my God, this is so freaking good. Uh, and it pains me because I want to do better and better and better. So I do take a lot of inspiration from advertising, but I think that those moments when I can truly disconnect from the world are those moments when I'm immersing myself into culture, when I'm having an experience, whether it is a book, a film, uh, an expo, you know, like an exhibition, uh, you know, like, um, or if I'm going to a concert, I think that at the end of the day, my main source of inspiration and my, the way I find my chill, the way that I can disconnect uh, from the rest of the world is by, you know, like inserting myself into one of those experiences. And of course, having a nice cold course Light, which is my beer of choice, even though people don't always believe me when I say that course Light was my beer of choice before I joined Molson course. I discovered it when I moved to Atlanta from Brazil for the first time, and it has been my beer of choice since. So hopefully I don't have to work for any other beer brand because now I have said this in your podcast and people will know. That's it. It's on it's it's on the record, Marcelo, now. So let it be let let the let the record reflect that Marcelo the course is the is the course light is the number one beer for him. Last two questions. What is your advice for your fellow marketing leaders out there as you kind of look to your right, look to your left of other, you know, other brands, other global heads of marketing like yourself. What's your advice to those folks, your peers about being a marketing leader in this day and age? You know, I will say two things. I think that the first of all is love what you do and the rest will follow, right? I think that we, as I was saying before, I think it's a privilege to work in marketing. And I think that it's a very demanding job uh, it can be very insane at times. I always say that if you can go to bed the night before the launch of a new campaign without some serious sleep and medication, it's probably not a very good campaign to begin with. <laughs> so you know, it's such a demanding job emotionally, emotionally. I look at the people that I respect the most, the people that have really inspired me in marketing, like Jonathan Mildenhall from uh, Coca-Cola and then became the CMO for Burger King. My current boss, uh, Michel Saint-Jacques, who is, you know, like... Uh, this uncontainable ball of talent and energy or, you know, like Fernando Machado who was my boss at birth. So many people that I admire in this business, they are 
deeply connected uh, with our work from a very emotional level. And I'm the same. So if you're going to do it, you have to love it. Because otherwise, you're either going to hate what you do every single day because of how demanding and how emotional it is, or you're just going to do mediocre work. So the first, the, the, the first advice is if you're going to do marketing, if you're going to work in advertising, you have to freaking love it. Otherwise, you know, like there are so many easier things to do in life. But I think that the other, the other advice that I would give is, so people talk a lot about, you know, people ask me sometimes, why do you think that people don't do better work? So everybody talks about wanting to do excellent creative work, but not everybody is doing it, right? And I think that I have been lucky enough to have have been a part of campaigns that were very meaningful creatively. And people ask me, you know, what, what is the, what is the secret? And I think that the truth is that, uh, we in trying to find something that is considered, you know, that, that people try to call like collective genius, we often end up in a culture of collective fear. Uh, and I think that fear is the thing. I think that we try so much to eliminate the possibility of failure that we end up eliminating the possibility of success because everything has to be so contained. Everything has to be pasteurized. Everything has to reach a hundred percent consensus across all levels of the organization. So if you have a big, bold, exciting new idea in front of you and it's making you feel afraid, be afraid, be very afraid, but go out and do it. Because I think that the, the biggest risk is to do work that is mediocre, to do things that people are not going to, that, that it's just going to fade into the background. And I think that what we do is too special or it can be too special for us to waste the opportunity of doing what we do in doing things that are just mediocre. So be afraid, be very afraid, but then go Go ahead and do it. Fantastic. Marcelo Pascoa, the accidental marketer that ended up at Coca-Cola, Airbnb, Burger King, and now leading global and North America, vice president of marketing for Coors. Marcelo, thank you so much for being on the show. This was incredible. Oh, it was my pleasure. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. 
from Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.